Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. You got that right, Sean. It's the Alabama woodworker. Yep. How you doing? Good, man. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. He. 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 <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops, right or wrong. We also have a Patreon campaign. We'd like to thank our newest patron, Dell Powell. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. But with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what's your first question? All right. So this question is from Michael and he asks, what is your favorite species of wood to work on with hand tools and why? Uh, let's think about this. Uh, you know, I like to- I don't need it. to think about it. <laughs> what is it for you? Uh, wait, 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 wait. I bet I can guess what guys is. Let's play that game. Okay. I'll wait it in a while. Oh, you, you guess, you guess. I think Guy was going to say um, genuine mahogany. Absolutely. 100%. Honduran mahogany. Yeah. Really? If you've ever used hand tools on Honduran mahogany, you'll understand. Okay. Okay. That sticks not, with me. I've used hand tools on sapile, which isn't, you know, Honduran mahogany, but it, it's kind of a, a relative of it. Um, I mean, I think I like soft maple. I like cherry. I like walnut. Uh, you know, you can get a little bit of wonky grain in some of them, but uh, for the most part, I think it builds character. It helps you learn about grain direction, how to change it, how to change the way you're uh, working with the hand tool, uh, particularly planing, and uh, also shows you, you know, what what tool to specifically use with you know highly figured things, scraping versus planing, or low angle versus high angle. Or- but which is your favorite? Which you is can't, my favorite? You can't name 10 different people. Oh, I like this. I like that. I like that. I like that. That's like saying, I like all my kids. I like all my Pick kids. Your They're all special. Uh, but in these aren't your life. kids. It's wood. Um, uh, I'll say soft maple. Yeah, sure. Hmm. Soft maple. Why, why soft maple? Soft maple, uh, it's inexpensive for the most part uh, relative to like a walnut or an oak. But it's, just about, it's a question about pricing. It's a question about hand tools. Uh, it... it it machines it, it machines <laughs> i like i like i like using it for uh cutting dovetails i like uh i like hand planing it it's very pleasant to hand plane uh you know i don't get a ton of tear out with it um yeah just like using it yeah. how about you sean um man i'll tell you um probably cherry but I, I really also, Cherry's my favorite. I'm not going to have 10 favorites, but I will give you an honorable mention. I like, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't like rock pine, and I have some Jatoba that I tried to work with hand tools. That's, I might as well just throw it away. I mean, that was a, even, that's, that is, yeah. Well, if you I throw won't. it away, I'll pay you to ship it to me. How about that? All right. It's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah. I but know. um, it's just, I don't like it at all. But I will say, I do like um, using hand tools on on pine, you know. Yeah, it. I like being able to chisel the waist on a dovetail with with two hits. Uh, they, it cuts really well, uh, planes yeah. well. Um, I like pine. Uh, cherry is my favorite. Pine's fun. Uh, poplar's okay. Walnut, eh, it's okay. But I'm gonna say cherry. 
So hmm. what is it about Honduran mahogany that makes it so wonderful? It's, to- the, I've only used it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And the times that I did, I just found it. If you have sharp tools, mm-hmm. you know, chisels, plane blades and stuff, the tools seem to do exactly what you want them to do. Mm. So when you start chiseling, mm-hmm. it cuts exactly the way you expect it. Mm-hmm. It's not like when you're chiseling hard hard maple. Hard maple, yeah. Or or even cherry. Sometimes things can get wonky on you really quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like chip um, out. Like yep. chip out and stuff like that. If your if your tools are sharp with Honduran mahogany, man, it just seems it to me anyways. No, I agree with you. I, it I was you. just like it does. It's doing what exactly what what I want it to do. Um, and it's smooth. It can't, when you if it. you're you have to watch the, the grain direction because it does tear out very easily. It's not a super soft wood, but it's not super hard either. Yeah. Um, but it does tear out very easily if you're playing it the wrong way. Mm. But other than that, man, it's just you know chisels, hand planes, whatever you're doing. It just does what you. The, the wood does what you ask it to do if your tools are sharp. That's I, I think that's the best way to describe it. Sean, have you used Honduran mahogany quite a bit? Yep. Or, I yeah. built well, not uh, not a lot, but I built a box using it, uh-huh. um, and I I completely agree. There's just something about it. I don't. It it's just it, I can't explain it either. Like when I'd hand plane it, the edges and or the face, um, it it's just smooth and it just cuts. You know, just. It leaves, it just cuts cleanly. It's effortless, but it's not super, super soft. I don't know. It just, like Guy says, it's really hard to explain, but it just, it works really well with hand tools and you got to yeah. give it a try. And plus I love yeah. the look of it too. Yeah. It looks great. You know, why do you think they made so much furniture out of it in the federal yeah. period? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, wow, that stuff is great. Let's make a lot of furniture out of it. Yeah. And and that's, that's why there was so much of it being made out of that material. Cause it's just, it's just a, a, to me, anyways, it's a joy to work with. Yeah, and it it looks good, great. Yeah, and I like I I do like if I'm using hand tools, I do like working with cherry also. Mm-hmm. That that would be my honorable mention would be cherry. So I'm with Sean on that. Is is Honduran mahogany difficult to get nowadays, or is it still? I haven't I have not bought it, so I can't I can't tell you. I know right now, wood, period, mm-hmm. is a pain to get. So let me give you, and plywood has gone crazy again. We were normally buying sheets of UV1 yeah, uh, mm-hmm. for about $50, okay? Mm-hmm. 75 there, What's that? Is it 75 now? How much is it now? 200 No way. Yep. And there's a wait. Oh, business is good then. Well... Well, we can't we can't make stuff out of out of plywood right now. You can't get it. If you just want regular maple plywood, A1 maple plywood, mm-hmm. it's over $200 a sheet and it's 4 to 6 weeks out. Gosh. I got Gosh. some uh, I just bought some C2 uh, I know that we're changing the subject, but it, it kind of pertains. I just bought some C2 paint grade which is paint grade uh, maple ply and it was $75 a sheet. That should be about forty five dollars a sheet. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm before all. Anyway, yeah, it, well, it's about seventy five. I can tell you that it's pretty, pretty sad. I, like I've not purchased sheet goods since before COVID. 
Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. The last time I bought a five by five sheet of Baltic birch three quarter, it was 55 bucks. So that's all I know. (laughs) I've not worked with sheet goods since. That's not bad. And I'm not looking forward to buying You're not missing anything. I, you know, uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent. So I'll just shut up now. (laughs) Well, you can't shut up, guy, because you've got the next question. (laughs) Nice segue, Hui. I like it. I like it. All right. This question is from Liam. And Liam asks, first he says, gentlemen, love your show. This is the one, and she said, this is the one working podcast, woodworking podcast that actually spends most of its time answering questions versus the host talking about themselves. Liam, if you like, we can talk. I can spend an hour talking about myself, <laughs> but I tell you what, you would just, after five minutes, you go, oh my God. We have to edit it out, Liam. You'd have to edit it out, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned so much from you three, and I'm really appreciative of the time you take to make this show. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Liam. Thank you. Here is his question. <clears throat> I'm a weekend woodworking warrior and only have nights and weekends to spend in the shop, unfortunately. I often feel that when I do manage to get things in the shop, when I do manage to get into the shop, I cram as much work as possible during that time. This means I often exchange quality for results. As I mature as a woodworker, I'm getting more interested in doing more intricate and higher quality challenging work, which means I need to slow down a bit. I watch some YouTube videos uh, Ishitami Furniture, for example, which is a very good channel, by the way. Mm-hmm. I've, I've watched mm-hmm. his stuff too. And I'm amazed at the time spent planning the work. And of course, the results are amazing. To my question, how do you guys balance getting stuff done versus quality? Is quality always important? Thanks again, Liam. I thought this was a really good question. Yeah. How do you balance getting stuff done versus quality? And is quality always important? My answer to that is quality is important most of the time. Unless I'm built, if I'm building something for myself that's going to be in my shop, that's shop grade, I don't care as much if something isn't perfect. I don't, in other words, if I screw something up, I won't try to fix it. Uh, If it's for my shop and I screw something up, I'll just fix it and live with the blemish. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I'm building something, let's say for my wife, (laughs) it's got, it has to be perfect. And I have rebuilt entire parts of furniture just because I made a mistake and I, I could fix them. But a careful eye like my wife's will see them and it will haunt me for the rest of my days. So the other part of this question, how do you guys balance getting stuff done versus quality? The way I look at it now, after doing this for a couple years, I only worry about the quality of the parts that people can see. Mm. So let me give you an example the back part of a drawer, don't care. The underside of a top, don't care. I'm not going to spend two hours sanding a top, the bottom of a top that mm-hmm. nobody's ever going to see. Right. I go through this with the guys at work all the time. They're, they're doing it and they say, well, what about this little thing right here? I'm like, uh-huh. Well, they'll see it. I said, here's what happens when we deliver our furniture and tell me if I'm wrong. 
you throw it in there and the customers hold their arms up and go, oh my God, it's so beautiful. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> do they, and I ask them, do they get on the floor on their back and crawl under and look up at the bottom of the piece? No, never. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to deliver it to some guy in a loading dock and he's going to say, thank you. And he ain't even going to look at it. So the bottom line to all that is worry about the stuff that people are going to see or their eyes are going to be drawn to. So if you've got like a tabletop, like a dining table, that's just got four legs, an apron and a top. The top is everything. That's what people are going to look at. That's what people are going to touch. Spend the bulk of your time worrying about the quality of that. The legs mm-hmm. and the apron, eh, make them nice, but they don't have to be super nice. They don't have to be perfect. Just the top has to be perfect. If you're making like a shaker um, table, just a tabletop with the drawer and everything, actually the drawer is what you want to spend the most time with. Not the back of the drawer. That People aren't going to pull the thing out and look behind the drawer. Does, that, does all that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm done. Sean, <laughs> what's your answer to this? Man, this, uh, I, I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, I will say that when I started woodworking, I was just enjoying it. I was just building and building and building and building. And, yeah. and you know, now I've got a house not full of stuff, but I'm like, man, I really want to make some new end tables for my living room. But I'm like, crap, I've got these two cherry end tables that I built when I first started. They're not perfect. I didn't, I'm not a fan of the design completely now that I want to start over. I think you should really, you should learn the basics, learn how to do what you're trying to do. But when it comes time to designing pieces, slow down, make sure it's, it's, because you only have so much room in your house unless you want to start giving furniture away slow down, make sure it's the design you want, implement something, every, every new project you, you tackle, integrate something, some new skill set that you've not done inlay or veneering or a joinery technique or something like that. That's, that's really good advice. And push Mm -hmm. it, push your uh, abilities and learn something new. Um, and, and that's how you're going to, you know, to push, push your skill sets forward. You, I mean, you only have so much room in in your house and, unless you start giving it away to family, which is what I've, I've done. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I understand that when you're first starting, you just want to build, I want to build, I want to build. I'd buy a hundred board feet of hundred board feet of cherry and I didn't even have anything planned for it, but give me three weeks and I've gone through that hundred board feet of cherry. And then my parents leave with, you know, with, you know, two end tables or something like that, or, uh, you know, um, all kinds of furniture that they have. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's tough, especially when you're first getting started and you, you're a weekend, uh, woodworking warrior and you just want to build, 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 build. <sighs> Hopefully, you know, what, what I've added to guys answer helps you a little bit to, to push your knowledge and skill sets, but mm. take your time and, and, and do and, and figure out what you want to build so that you're not building the wrong piece and, or building something that you're going to regret building later on, because then it's wasted time, wasted lumber. And just and just take a little bit of time during the week and plan it out better. But yeah, what what you got? Uh, not much more. Yeah, I think I think both of you were right on there. Um, in the beginning, it's it's more about uh, quantity over quality. Just trying to get your hands um, 
you know, wet your chops on a lot of different things and learning a lot of different things. And then once, once you sort of are introduced to a lot of those different techniques, different methods, different things, you know, figuring out how you work better, um, then it comes down to being a little bit more careful about, like you said, the joinery and just really taking the time to get it as precise as possible and getting that nice, perfect friction fit, you know, not too tight, not too loose. Um, and, and ultimately I think as you become more proficient in things, you, you, you tend to want to take more time. And quite honestly, as you become more proficient, you also get a lot faster at certain aspects of woodworking too, just by knowing, uh, Hey, I've done this layout a million and one times that, uh, I'm not tr scratching my head trying to figure things out. I feel, at least for myself, that I'm spending most of my time actually trying to figure things out as opposed to actually doing the work. But in my case, you know, dinner time or whatnot, I've got the computer in front of me and I might be working on a design. And those are the times I'm kind of spending um, away from the shop and trying to figure things out in my head as I'm working through the process. And it helps me be a little bit more efficient in the shop. I don't know if that added anything at all. No, but. absolutely. It, it's <laughs> it's really hard when you only have so many hours in the shop and you and you spend the entire one of your nights setting up your dado stack to cut yep. a tenon and testing it and and then you're like, okay, it's this is all the time I have. I didn't make any progress. That can be frustrating, and but you just got to you know, it, it is what it is. That's all the time you have, but you will regret later on building a sloppy piece that you mm -hmm. wish you would have spent the time and made it better. And that's, mm -hmm. I look at several and we, we as woodworkers will always do this, but I look at some of my, like my end tables I was just talking about. There's, you know, there, there's all kinds of flaws with that stuff that just because I rushed it because I felt like I had to, I had to get it done in order to move on to the next thing. You got to slow down and with every piece, you know, take your time and make it the, the best that you can because you don't, get a whole lot of second opportunities to rebuild stuff unless you give it away yeah. for free. Right. right. Yeah, and I, I, I just had this discussion with one of my guys today that I work with and he was building something and I saw a major flaw because when they give us stuff at work, they don't tell us how to make it. Right. It's just, it's, this is the material it's to be made out of. Here's a, a hand-drawn sketch with a crayon on a napkin <laughs> and Really? Build some rough dimensions. I didn't yeah. know that guy. Yeah. And build it. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes we get photos mm -hmm. of stuff. Usually it's just nothing. It's just build this. So he was building something. I saw what he did, what he had done. And I said, you know, Hey, before you send this back to finishing to where it kind of like finalizes everything, you might want to fix this and this because it's not done right. And those are the things that, that, and of course he just ignored me and sent it back anyways. <laughs> of course, after woodworking for about a year and a half, he knows more than I do. <laughs> anyways, that's, that's another subject. But I guess what I'm saying is, is if you see a mistake mm -hmm. and you know, it's a mistake, fix it. You got to fix it. Yeah. Fix it. Especially if it's yours especially if it's yours, not necessarily a customer's, but if it's yours and it's something you're going to see in your house every day, that mistake will haunt you. Yes. Every time you look at that piece. Yep. hundred percent. 
That's the biggest, biggest advice I can give you. If it takes an extra weekend or an extra week of weeknights in the shop to fix it, fix it. Do yourself a favor. Yep. I have like the end tables I'm talking about. They were my first, like I designed them myself in SketchUp. I sit down in my recliner and I look over every time and I see the filler in the, in the gap that I had in the dovetail. And I was like, eh, throw some filler in there. It'll look great with varnish over it. It did when I first put it in, but then as the cherry got darker, well, the uh, filler obviously doesn't. Doesn't. Yep. And I just like, ugh, what the heck? Didn't sand the drawer bottom. And it's like, what was wrong with me? Because I wanted to keep, keep, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. You look at the next part before you've got, or you look at your next project before you have this project done and you can't do that. And really, if you're a weekend woodworking warrior like Liam, you don't, you're not held any time schedule, really, on most of the stuff, unless it's a customer piece. But you're really not held to a, a time schedule. Just do it at your own leisure and get it right would be my best. I guess that's my best piece of advice. It, and enjoy it. Yep. You yeah. actually enjoy, enjoy it. the it stops process. being fun. It's not fun. Yeah. And yeah, that's you run out of room in your house. <laughs> I'm at a point now where I'm going to have to start giving stuff away, more stuff away. So Sean's having a garage sale next week. Everybody, <laughs> at the end of the show, Sean, make sure to give your address out. Yeah, okay. I'll show up and start taking some furniture from you. I'll give you my P.O. box. <laughs> Let's come right. to that. All right, so I got the next one here. Hey, guys, love the podcast. I've been following Sean's box build and wanted to talk about box hinges for side mount hinges. What's your preferred installation method that works every time? It's something I struggle with and would like some tips or tricks. Thanks, Darren. I took this one because I have a love-hate relationship with hinges. I love the way they look, but I hate installing them because uh, you got to make them just perfect. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hate installing them because this is one of those things, Liam, where you have to pay attention to the accuracy and the quality when you're installing hinges. But just, Mm -hmm. but, um, so I took this because this is fresh, uh, off my workbench and it's, uh, you know, still in the memory, memory banker before I forget all about the hinges. But, so I've installed these side hinges, three different side mount hinges. The they're the Brusso SR dash six thirty eights. I've installed them three different ways. One, mm-hmm. I purchased the, well, I had Rockler sent me their like all in one um, router jig with like an acrylic base with different inserts. That was for their hinges. The second one I purchased. Uh, Brusso's brass uh, template, and the third being I've set up my router table to install or installed a uh, five sixteenths bit and set the fence up and did with the router table. Um, I had I love the size of the base of the of the Rockler kit. I had issues with the insert; um, it just would not cut the groove wide enough for the top for the box top. No matter how I adjusted my uh, guide bearing. It wasn't, it wasn't that, uh, I, ne- I had to take it off and use the router table to fix the issue. So I don't use that, that router jig anymore. The base size was perfect. The, mm-hmm. um, it, it was great, but the insert wouldn't set flat and it, w- it wasn't the, the groove in the insert was not long enough for both pieces. So I just, I don't use that anymore. The second one was the Brusso brass template and that, 
I mean, the size of it, the, the main issue with that is it's way too small, way, way, way too small to use with the plunge router that I have, unless you have a mm-hmm. tiny, a super tiny router, it's way too small. It's dead nuts accurate, works, uh, you know, works great, but the problem is it's too small. So what I found with the, the, that template, this, this box was that it has these little brass uh, pieces that, that's, that spaces the, uh, the box lid from the base so that it lines up just perfect. But the problem is the template is too small. So I found if I was routing a groove on the left side of the box, the right side of the box was pinching together, thus throwing off my, my groove. So I had to have 75 different clamps and different configurations to keep that spacing. In other words, the template is too small. And after having said all of that, my preferred method is to set up the router table, set up the, the fence and, and mm-hmm. build two stop blocks um, that I know that I can, that I can go to every time to use for these SR638 hinges. The spacing is just right and use the router table. Um, now those guys, the, the template systems that Rockler and, and Bruso sell may work for some. I just find that it's too fussy, uh, to use. And again, I had acrylic issues with the Rockler one, uh, build a couple of little templates, little shims that you can use that are the, that are the exact, uh, length so that you can have the left side of the bit and the right side of the bit set up stop blocks. And you're going to get the repeatability that you need every single time from your router table. And with that, obviously using referencing the router table top, is just a, it's just an easier process because with the side, uh, the side mount hinges, you have to have the depth correct. You got to have the width or the, the, I guess the length of the, uh, the groove correct mm-hmm. on the top and the bottom. And they've got to be in the same exact location in reference to the edge of the box on the, t- on all four of your, uh, grooves. And if they're not your boxes, your, your lid's not going to fit perfectly. Any right. one of those dimensions are off. You're going to have issues. If it's too deep, the box is not going to close all the way. Uh, if it's too close, it, it, they just got to be perfectly lined up. And I feel that a router fence with those two stop blocks is going to give you the repeatability that you need. And you always need to test with uh, scrap pieces. That's the same exact thickness as your uh, box sides uh, and with veneer on them, if you can cut off a scrap piece big enough. But I found that those two, I per- I've wasted money on the Brusso hint template system. I'm, I'm not going to use it anymore. Rockler sent me that other one for free, but it had issues. Use a router table, set it up, get stop blocks that you can use over and over again with those same hinges and just keep them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give you the repeatability that you're looking for. And that's what's worked for me. Um, and it's worked great. I so used that- the Brusso on this latest box. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found out like, okay, th- I'm, I'm done with these. I'm just going to stick with the router table. Now, this in your case, in the situation that you were using these side mount hinges for, uh, these were this was this case was a, a lid that was the exact same dimension as the box itself, correct? Yeah, I cut it loose from the box. Gotcha. Okay. When I say side mount hinge, I, side rail hinges, maybe is what I mean to call what I mean to call them. It's it's just the L shaped ninety five degree mm-hmm. hinges. Yeah, SR six thirty eights. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking at. Gosh, they're expensive. Oh, so they those are. Aren't, I thought so. It's not a butt hinge. No, it's not. No, no, no. Yeah, I may have described it wrong. It is. Yeah, it's, I know. It's I'm, just I'm just. Oh teasing. yeah. <laughs> I love the. Yeah. 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 They're forty bucks a 
hair. My goodness. Forty? It's not. It's not that cheap. That's not that expensive. No, so. not for quality hinges. They're not. Nope. Listen here, wait, no. Mister Festool. What? Whatever. Um, <laughs> for small, they're pretty small. Um, yeah, but no, are. I understand. It's quality is. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, listen, I spent a lot of money on things. Okay? Oh, I know. <laughs> Mister Festool, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's great. I've never actually installed these, um, but. Uh, but I'll take your word for it because you've installed a lot of them. Um, There's so no what, room for error. So, so what are you putting the stop block in front of the router bit? Is yeah. that right? Okay. Yeah. So that when you when you put the when you do one of the sides of the box, obviously mm-hmm. it's going to ride up against the fence, and it's going to let's say you got you got you're looking down at the box, you've got the right side up against the fence mm-hmm. or the whatever side, and it's just you push it into the bit. And you want that, you want the stop block to be the overall length of what you need to cut minus mm-hmm. the thickness of your bit. Mm-hmm. And so then, then you're going to flip it around and then you're going to actually put the box on top of the bit. You're going to plunge down and then slide it the other way and stop it. So you need, you can have one, but you'd have to keep moving your template back and forth. So it's yeah. just easier to have two. Hmm. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I installed a set of these hinges one time. Yeah. That was on a humidor I built probably, oh, it's got to be 15 years ago. Yes. Um, and I just cut, I just marked them out and cut them. By hand? Yeah. Well, I used a plunge router and I, I built up the sides of the box. I actually inst- cut the hinges out before I built the box. So I just had the sides that I could put in a vise and put extra material so that the, the router didn't get tippy on me. I knew I was going to be installing them, so I, I did it that way. I didn't have any problems. How did you how did you cut it out before you built the box? Well, I, I already I had all the parts cut already, and the top was uh, not cut away from the box. So the top was made separate. I just had the tops and the, the top and I had the sides. And, you know, before I assembled it, I, I cut the, the stuff for the hinges. Oh, before you glued up the miters? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I, rem- so- I remember doing it because I was looking at it going, because if I build the box first, I'll never, uh, the, the router will be too tippy. I didn't think mm-hmm. of using a router table because I'm not that bright. So... I just put put it in my vise and I put a couple pieces of wood on either side of it. So it gave me like, you know, an inch and a half, mm. two inch space to, to, to balance the router on. I just marked it out and I just used a plunge router and I just cut it. With an edge guide? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at this because I, I was curious, right? I, I've not seen this jig from Rockler before. So there are two aspects to it, right? There's mm-hmm. the hinge mortising system itself but then you have to get the template i guess q1 yeah. q2 q3 all the way however uh, different templates they have for their hinges for their hinge correct yeah. yep yep and th- and that didn't end up working out all right no the well no <laughs> in well in theory it, no it's a it's a great size jig i was able to line it up i was able to line the box up just perfect with the jig so in other words mm-hmm. there's two things you got to line up on the box one being you got to have the top and the bottom flush on the sides and then you got to have the gap between the top and the bottom fit just right so that 
the spacing between it so that the template that you insert into the rockler jig combined with your your um, bushing cuts you the perfect slot depending on the length of the the spacing in between them right. and the length of the of the insert the issue that i ran into so was that the insert would not sit flat and so, it was popped up on one side mm-hmm. a little bit and and flush toward the bottom so that meant that the top when i was routing the top mm-hmm. you go all the way to the back it wasn't deep enough you go all the way to the front and it was starting to get deep deep deep, yeah. en- deep enough and then you yeah, go yeah, all the way yeah. to the bottom and it was perfect so i had to clean that out but then the next problem was the groove the the, the groove of the template toward the top where it was routing on the top of the box was not deep, like was not long enough. So I had to, I was like, okay, well, whatever, let me try the other side. Just thinking who knows? I was like, same thing on both sides, no matter how I did it. So I even adjusted my bushing. I'm like, is this perfect to the base? Yes. No matter what I did, it would not route a groove long enough on the top of the, on the top of the template. So I had to then set up my router table with the bit, Mm. with the fence and cut just enough to extend that groove on an already routed part from Oof. their template. And I was yeah. able to do it without changing the width of it at all. But that was the issue with that. If that template, if that insert was perfectly flush and the groove is big enough, I'd be using it every time because the size of the acrylic base is perfect to span across yeah. most of the box. So the spacing between the two pieces is fine. And it kept it flush on the end. In theory, that's a, that's a really good design. It's just my insert would not sit flat with the top of the acrylic base. Your insert. You know how those inserts you got to put in the acrylic base? Yeah. The, the Q1, the Q2, or whatever you called them? Mm-hmm. Those oh, are, those gotcha. Are, yeah. Those are inserts for different... You can use that one base really? for different inserts for different types of hinges. So the insert was proud of the base itself. That's yeah. You, it was It was a, a friction, a piston fit, mm-hmm. but it just it, it would not bottom out so that the, mm-hmm. the, the temp, the insert was partially up on one end. It is neat though, because it has the top and the bottom of the box married up together, right? That's uh, yeah. And that's, that's why I like the design of the rockler one, because I was like, wow, it has side, uh, side rails so that they're flush on the sides and it keeps them flush. And it has, it's big enough to put space between the top and the bottom so that that mm-hmm. gap is consistent all the way across the box. Whereas the yeah. Brusso one, you spend that kind of money on a tiny little thing that you just fight with. I, honestly, I don't right. know why people would buy that for anything sm- other than a tiny, tiny box. There needs to be, well, that's here nor there, but the Rockler kit in theory is great. I just could not get that insert to, to work. And I didn't feel like going back to them and saying, Hey, what's going on with this and buying another insert. So I was just, I was like, okay, well, let me try this other brand of Brusso. And that one's too small. It's accurate, but it's too small for a decent yeah. sized box. So router yeah, table, set small. up your fence, and then that's all you need to do. All right. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, a little long winded on that one, but I'm pretty no, passionate it's, about it's... hinges on these. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, great. That's good. Yeah. That's good information. Good information. I learned a lot from that too. Well, Thank you. I'll hold a seminar. We can talk about it even more. I'd be all right with that. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's on you, Hui. What you got for us next? All right. So this is from Mike. Oh, the first question was from Michael, and this one's from Mike. Uh, hey, guys, I've been listening from the beginning, and you have the best podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. Well. Uh, I want to make a bow front bedroom set, nightstands, chest of drawers, and dresser. That is a big undertaking. I yeah. plan to make the drawer fronts out of bending ply and 1 inch shops on veneer. 
I was considering sawing them out of 12 quarter or 16 quarter cherry, but some of the drawers will be 10 inches tall and I'm concerned about the stability of the wood over time. After I bend and glue the drawer fronts, how should I square up the ends so that they are parallel plus have a flat on the back of the drawer sides? Also, I usually hand cut dovetails when making drawers. Since the fronts will basically be plywood, I am thinking this will be difficult. Is there another technique that you should that I could con- that you could con- suggest that would be strong yet simple to make? Also, the dresser will be two drawers wide with a single bow. Each drawer will have a half bow. Uh, whatever technique I use to make the drawer fronts on the end tables and chest of drawers will uh, will need to be different for these drawers. How do you suggest I square up the ends and create a flat on the back for the dresser drawer? Sorry about the long and three questions, but I'm stuck. Thanks for all the help and a great podcast. Oh, this is interesting. So he's wanting to use bending ply and he's wanting to make the bowed drawer front out of uh, basically bent lamination, right? Um, and then resawing the veneer. Uh, and the reason why he's wanting to do that is that it's, he seems concerned about the drawers being 10 inches tall and wood stability. So let's let's first maybe talk about that. Is that a concern? Because one of the one of the methods that I know of, and uh, there's a gentleman by the name of David Buff. He actually has a YouTube channel, and then an article from Popular Woodworking Magazine that I saw a while back on a New York Pembroke table, and it's very they're very similar methods, but uh, somewhat different in certain ways. But the one method that I know of to make these bow front is not to use bending ply and bent lamination but actually to have like a solid block of poplar dovetail that in and then add a another solid block of whatever decorative front you want right so let's say eight quarter or or you know six quarter mahogany let's just say and then to then cut the bow from the front and the back once the solid block of poplar or soft maple or whatever inexpensive wood you have is is dovetailed to the sides. Um, so I've seen that done uh, that way. Another way I've seen it done is to use uh, like a solid block of poplar or inexpensive wood, cut the dovetails, have it all square, cut out the shape for the bow front, and then uh, use oh, what hammer veneering. Right. So uh, get a thin sheet of veneer, decorative veneer, whatever you want the front to be, and then hammer veneer it. Would that be a concern if these drawers are 10 inches tall? I I don't know the answer to that. Guy, do you have any insight on this? Because I know you've done some bowed front doors, drawers and whatnot. Yeah, I've done a bunch of them. When I'm doing doors or drawers, I I like to use the lamination method. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like to use the jig that I made the bent lamination on to cut Mm -hmm. those flats. Mm -hmm. Could you use that same jig to hold the piece in a vise and cut the dovetails? Sure. Okay. Because that's the other possibility that I was thinking that he would do. Well, I I would just bag the dovetails because they're unnecessary and they just look nice. True. It's not, it, it doesn't add anything. 
Mm-hmm. When I when I normally do bent drawer fronts and drawer sides, I usually use dowels, mm-hmm. and I just peg them. Yeah, I put a rabbit, and I and I and I put a dowel in it, and I peg, peg it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of uh, cutting that rabbit again, you can use the form that you yeah did the bent to cut the the, ra- the rabbits in, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Just to add one thing that is a possibility, mm-hmm. if you, I don't even know if this is worth worth mentioning, but I'll say it anyway. So mm-hmm. a, another thing that you could possibly do is potentially go with, I mean, I like the dowling idea, so don't shoot me down for this too hard guy, <laughs> but you could mm-hmm. use, you could, you could do a sliding dovetail to connect the drawer sides to the drawer front. If you're wanting to, mm-hmm. if you're wanting some different type of mechanism, I mean, that's just another option that you could use to connect the sides to the front. Like Guy said, I've I've also done used the the actual bending form to cut cut the end square. Uh, works perfect. It's, it's a yeah. good a good technique. Now, let me let me let me kind of go back on this real quick and and just to bring something up because <clears throat> I want to pick your brain, Guy, because you've got the experience on this. Um, oh. Now, when you when you well, no, this is I'll let you shine here in a second. Um, oh, sweet. How would you make, I got so many questions going through my head here. Sorry. How would you, what material would you use to make these drawer fronts? And after that, what would you use for the veneer on the front of these? Would you stick, would you make shop made 16th inch of an inch veneer? Or would you go with something a little bit thinner than that to prevent some movement? What would your technique be for making the drawer and what kind of veneer would you use? Well, for the drawer fronts, if the drawer fronts are curved, first you also have to determine how big the curve is. Mm-hmm. In most cases, it's going to be a pretty gentle curve for a drawer front. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would look at one sixteenth to one eighth inch thick shop saw veneer. I would use the whatever material I'm going to make that I want to show in front. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the rest of the drawer of that also. So you're going to resaw all of 16th or 8th inch veneer and use um and pretty much essentially make your own ply with uh, yeah with the shops on veneer but in most cases my drawer fronts and something like that aren't going to be three quarters of an inch thick they're going to be a half inch to five eighths so i'm going to i'm going to use the the bent lamination process which i really like Mm -hmm. and i'd be sure to use a urea resin glue Yep. That way, they're never going to get out of shape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I would use the form itself, like I said, to cut the flats on what you need to. Yeah. Let me lead you down the path of a couple more questions so that what I'm doing here is I'm trying to lead, I'm, I'm trying to pull out some more answers from you from things that Mike may be asking while we're saying mm-hmm. this, because I, I kind of know where you're yeah. going and, and having done this, I want to pull some more, some more answers out of you. All right. Um, and Hui, you too, obviously, um, you're both, sure, sure. this isn't well, just for one. I've only done bent lamination like twice. Well, then you're qualified, well, buddy. Well, then don't. Then just be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit the mute button and chill, buddy. No, All right. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, people. Okay, so you got, let's say you're going to go with half inch. You're going to make your own, your own shops on veneer that you're going, are you going to be doing uh, odd number of uh, slices? Typically, yes. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to worry about alternating grain? Nope. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're going to use the urea resin glue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're going to make your outside piece the same stuff. It's just going to probably be a, 
you know, have your nicest slice on the yeah. outside. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. What I would really do is I would, <clears throat> I wouldn't number them, but I would use a, take the piece of wood that I started with and put a carpenter's triangle on the side and I'd stack them in the same order I cut them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple more here and this may be this, we, by the way, feel free to jump in here. I don't want to take over your question. I'm not trying to do that. No, 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 no. I, the, the reason why I asked this because I'm curious about all this stuff. Okay. Cool. Or I, I didn't ask it, but Mike did. And obviously, I'm just piggybacking off his question. Well, hey, I like these kind of questions because I learn stuff as well. So mm-hmm. this is why I'm asking these questions here. So you get it out of the bending form. You put it or get it out of the bag. Cut it, cut it square on the ends. Do whatever joinery. Um, so now you need to cut a groove. So your, your drawer is going to be, drawer front's going to be curved. And so it doesn't have to be flat on the back. So in other words, you can, you can cut a groove using a, a rabbiting bit, like a quarter inch rabbiting bit, mm-hmm. Ga- mm-hmm. a bearing, bearing guided bit to cut your groove for your drawer bottom. Your drawer bottom is just going to be curved to match the curve on the drawer front. Is that typically how you would do it guy? I wouldn't put a rabbit in the front. I, I have a, a groove cutting bit. That I would use. Well, that yeah, I guess that's yeah. That, I guess that's what I call it. It's it's a I got a quarter inch bit that's um that looks like a slot cutter. That's slot, a, yeah, it's a slot cutting bit, groove yeah. cutting bit. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. Yeah, I would use that and just if you have a negative part. So if I'm making a form for something like that, you don't necessarily need a vacuum bag to do it. You'd, let's mm-hmm. say you'd make the inside curve this number, then you have five eighths of an inch, and then you have a negative, yeah, which goes over the top of it. If you've right. done that and you've got the, ne- and I would almost recommend it at that point, because if you've got the negative, you can take and double stick tape that drawer front to the negative, right. in other words, the outside face, mm-hmm. and then you can use that to make it very stable when you're doing it on the router table. Yeah, right. Good point. And cutting that groove on the inside. But yes, I would do that. And then I would do a, just a curved drawer front that would fit in there. Or a drawer bottom that would go in there. Okay. I, I, Can I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go. Uh, so let me ask about... Because he mentions here bending ply and 16th inch shops on veneer. Mm-hmm. Is the bending ply necessarily a good idea? I guess it's not a bad idea if he's got plenty of shops on veneer on the outside and plenty of urea resin glue to take out the bendiness well, of the ply. For for me, the 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 question is: It really is the bending ply going to work? It's an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to see plywood at bending ply. It's plywood. Yeah, see the edges. You're still going to see the edges, and I wouldn't want to see that. Yeah, you have to edge yeah. band all the way it's, around. It's it. not, it's not like regular plywood where there's a bunch of cores to it. This really isn't, but it's still going to be have like a striped effect on the ends sure. and the edges, mm-hmm. and I I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's me though. Yeah, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. getting you know twelve quarter whatever thickness material and then um, sh- uh, resawing it reassembling it based on the carpenter's triangle, you're going to yeah, get but something. I mean, if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do that, I could start out with four quarter or five quarter, probably five quarter is what I would order. And five quarter rough r- lumber. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I'd mill all the veneer out of one thickness of that. And whatever ends up being is what it ends up being. Sure. Whether sure. it's a half inch or, three eighths of an inch or seven eighths of an inch. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. It's whatever it ends up being. 
Mm. Um, now, I will finish the, by plugging a video that I made. Guy has plenty of awesome videos showing this technique as well. Uh, the last one that I made was oh, a year and a half ago, a walnut with a bow front walnut mm-hmm. cabinet. Mm-hmm. I did use, I used eighth inch ply. I did go the route of using plywood to make my uh, bent lamination uh, door um, yeah. with an outside, a, a beautiful outside curly walnut veneer and inside curly walnut veneer. I did have to edge band the entire thing. I do show, you know, how I did that using cutting the veneer, using letting the glue dry, then use ironing it on. Um, it's a pain in the butt. If, if I had, if I had the capabilities of making resawing something that would fit, it's going to make things a whole lot easier. It's going to look not, it's not all about being easy, but it's just going to, it's going to look good. I mean, I, I did a video once, Sean. Here, I'm going to up you. Okay. I did a video, Sean, where I, I made bent frame and panel doors. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah, so the panel was bent, and then the frame pieces were bent also. Neat. I've, I've done that without bending them. They just naturally twisted. <laughs> that was your end tables, right, guy? That was his buffet, wasn't it? It was a buffet. Oh, the buffet. Sorry. Come on, yeah. we. Well, I did. A- <laughs> that was the first time I ever did that. And I, I haven't did. seen I haven't seen many people do that. Yeah. Not a frame and panel door. No, not a bent lamination on a frame and panel door. It was kind of a bitch. But yeah. I got it to work. I That's did do a video. last time I did it. I did do a video on bent lamination, but it was the bent stretchers on my dining table. That was it. Yeah. So not nearly yeah. as complex as bent frame and panel anyway you have plenty of videos mike to <laughs> source if you want to shameless plug all right uh next question goes to guy all right <laughs> sorry that, that i'm the host i should have been passing along that's my fault <laughs> we were just on that question for a long time <laughs> but that's a good question it was this question comes from doug and he says thanks for the great podcast and answering a number of questions of my questions in the past as with many of us, I have a love-hate relationship with finishing. Yeah, I've heard that before. I've been using shellac with the rubber. I know Hui dislikes that term. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> using Guy's method of preparing and using. I've recently tried hard wax oil Odie's, which I like, but I want to try spraying. I have a Homerite Super Finish HVLP, i.e. cheap sprayer. Can I use this for spraying shellac? I know recently Guy had mentioned that he pretty much just sprays shellac now. I, I should say he just sprays his shellac now. I spray other things. Uh, if I do this, would I prepare the ratio the same as I would for rubbing? Any tips or tricks you could share would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Doug. So, Doug, yes, you can use your cheap Homerite Super Finish HVLP gun with shellac and one of the reasons you can use it with shellac is shellac is extremely viscous it's like water mm-hmm. and i still use a one and a half pound cut that's the only that's the only cut i make out of shellac is one and a half pound cut when i make my own so when you put that in a spray gun it atomizes real easy and The best piece of advice I can give you when spraying shellac is turn your gun and if you have a a way to set the power down on the pump or the turbine, do it. Put it way down. I usually start at like half 
you know, half the, the volume for the, for the spray gun and half the pressure for my, my spray unit. Unfortunately, I've got, a, I've got a pretty powerful unit right now. And then I spray it till it starts atomizing. And then I start cranking it down. And when it's it just, so it just atomizes the stuff. And I can tell that well, cause I put a board in front of the, or a piece of cardboard in front of it. And I just spray it. I'm only spraying about maybe four to six inches away. And I'm looking for typically about a four to six inch pattern, if that makes sense. But I'm, it's a very, very light mist because if you put, too much of that stuff through there, you'll go through a quart of shellac in 20 seconds. I mean, where the hell did it go? <laughs> but if you put it just a very, very light settings and just enough so that it, it, it just atomizes and you'll know what I'm talking about when you get there with it, where it mm-hmm. just is working. That's where you want it. And it goes pretty far and it does a really good job. It does, and, it, and and don't spend a lot of time in one spot. Just left to right, right to left, left to right. If it's a larger piece, and there won't be a lot of drips, it'll dry really super quick. Doing methods like that, I've put as many as five or six coats on in a day, yeah. pretty pretty easily, okay. and not worried about it. We. Oh, no, go, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Sean. I was going to play pick guy's brain again on this just oh, real quick. Well. I'm not sprayed shellac with the HVLP, but I love using the me rattle either. cans. So mm-hmm. let me mm-hmm. ask you, since you've probably, you've used the rattle cans of shellac, obviously, yeah. how could uh, Doug use that rattle can as like a gauge to determine if, if he's spraying too thick, too thin, um, if he has his gun set up semi correctly, or is it something that you want a finer mist than what's coming out of those rattle cans? I think the stuff that comes out of the rattle cans is usually pretty thick mm. myself. So even thinner than that. Yeah. So pretty, you could use that as a gauge, like, Hey, if it's this much, it's way too thick. I can go yeah, less. Than when that. I, when I, when I spray shellac, I mean, I've got the gun turned way down. <clears throat> it's barely spitting out. I mean, it's just atomizing the stuff. And what I mean by atomizing, it's taking the, the liquid and turning it into a, like a vapor mm-hmm. that's spraying out of the gun. I'm, I'm four to six inches away, and I'm looking at a four to six inch pattern. And, and like I said, it's just getting the surface wet. And yeah. I'll take it, and I don't stay in any space too long or any single spot too long, and I just go left to right right to left, left to right, right to left, and just keep going. And I overlap it and it dries super fast. Even on a vertical surface, I don't worry about it running because it dries so fast. It dries in like 15 minutes. Mm. But like I said, I'm using a pound and a half cut too. So the alcohol flashes off pretty quick because it's mostly alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's why I put on, you know, three, four coats. If it's just going to be a shellac finish, I'm putting on three or four coats. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to rub the finish out into a, like a satin yeah. with, with wax and uh, quadruple lots wool, I'll probably put like five or six coats on because mm-hmm. I can. And a, and a large, a semi-large piece, like uh, my desk that I'm sitting at right now, I did, I think three coats, maybe four coats of shellac on it with, a quart of shellac. Wow. To seal it. That's a big piece. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. But like I said, it's it's just it's barely atomizing. Mm-hmm. I don't well, I, I don't know, it sounds horrible. I don't wear a mask. I don't drape stuff all over the shop. It doesn't there's no almost no blowback or overspray. Um, overspray. Yeah, it just yeah. goes on real easy. I just I mean it's a light coat. That's the best advice I can give is put it a light, put it on a light coat. Yeah, cool. Got nothing to add because I've never sprayed shellac through my HVL. You never sprayed shellac? Mm-mm. No, I'd like to though. You can. I gotta I gotta get I gotta get caught up on spraying this. I gotta spray conversion varnish. I want to get some lacquer, water based. Yeah. I gotta get some shellac. I gotta get caught up with you guys on spraying. Yeah, I can't control. I'm gonna buy some of that uh, Tech stuff, guy, uh, for my yeah. next project. The pigmented uh, you water-based careful. pigmented one. Gotta be careful. Why? It's cold in New Jersey. Oh, that's right. Yeah, good point. Good point. I don't buy I don't buy anything that any liquids that need to be shipped this time of year. Yeah. Well, let's not get sidetracked onto that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Cool. Um, it's off to. I got this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if I had to do your job, Sean. Well, hey, I'm, I'm slacking. All right, I'll take this final question from Julio. So there's two questions. I'm going to answer the first one on this episode, and I'll answer the second one probably on the next one. Uh, so let's see. Julio says, hi, I'm a longtime listener and that truly appreciates all the wisdom and humor you have provided over the years in your great podcast. <laughs> I have a couple design questions for a sofa and a pair of side tables that I'm making for my living room. They are a pretty simple design that uses mortise and tenon joiner for the aprons and the legs. I use my router with a quarter inch bit to make the mortise and a dado stack at the table saw for the tenons. The legs will be just under two inches thick from the material he can get from his eight quarter stock and about 28 inches long. The aprons are three quarters of an inch thick and six inches wide. They could be slightly thicker, but they'll come from four quarter stock. So his question is, if I use the one third rule for tenons on the aprons, the tenons would be one quarter inch thick if I use a three quarter inch stock. Do you think that this is thick enough for a side slash sofa table that won't see much abuse? Thank you, Julio. So the one third rule, in my opinion, is perfect for this scenario. It's plenty strong for a side table. And, you know, I've built four sets of side tables, four or five sets at this point. Um, side slash end tables that have a base construction utilizing these aprons with quarter inch tenons and it's perfectly suited for this application. Again, they're, you know, they're, they're side tables. So, and, and, and there are times that you can, that you can go wider than the one third rule, but you run into the risk of making the mortise walls too thin. Mm. So to think about that, look at something like a rail in a style door. If you go too thick on the tenon, you're going to have paper thin mortise walls, which are going to make that a weaker joint. Now, Obviously, you know, there's exceptions to this. There are instances where you can fudge the numbers a little bit. Like, for instance, I had uh, stock aprons on a bigger project that was an inch and a quarter thick, and the legs were a little over two. I think they were two and a quarter thick. So, and the, and the aprons was inset a little bit. So you got inch and a quarter thick aprons, two and a quarter inch thick legs. The apron was inset, so it wasn't flush with the front side of the legs. So if you take a one the the one third rule on something like one and a quarter inch thick. You're looking at mm-hmm. some odd size, like five twelfths or something like that. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to stick to the one third rule on that. So I would bump either up or down to find a standard size, like three eighths, half inch for the for the router bit, uh, so that I can find a standard size to use on an oddball setup like that. So I guess basically what I'm saying is the sticking to that rule of thumb has been the go to rule for 
for a long, long, long time. And I think it's a good one to follow. And for something like this, quarter inch thick, uh, tenons on, on three quarter stock for side tables is plenty strong. There's no yeah. need to go thicker on something like that. Uh, because that's, if you think about the proportions, that's, what's going to look best for your project. And then you stick to the one third rule. It's going to give you quarter inch tenons. It's going to be plenty strong. And that's, that's pretty much the standard for that type of furniture. When you go thicker, you go bigger, you can scale uh, accordingly and you can fudge the numbers a little bit, but that's sticking to that rule has been a pretty safe, uh, pretty safe bet for the most part. And it's going to hold up just fine for you. Uh, Hui, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think he's going to be fine with quarter inch tenons on the side tables? Yeah, I think he'll be fine with quarter inch tenons. Um, if he wants to maybe reduce the reveal, cause those are kind of a little bit bigger legs, two inches. No, not necessarily, but he might want to maybe offset a little bit. So, you know, three quarter inch material, bring it a little bit forward. So you, maybe you have a quarter inch or three eighths inch reveal from the leg to the apron. And also That's it might a pretty give you, big reveal. You think so? Quarter inch? Quarter inch from the apron to the end of the leg? Yep, face of the leg? Face of the leg? Uh, Wait, say I that again? Quarter uh, inch? Reveal, what do you mean? Like so inside, the, the setback of the setback apron. Setback from the leg, yeah, front of the of leg. The apron to, to the front of the, from the apron to the what, front of what the do leg. You th- what do you think would be a better proportion, an, an eighth? It just depends uh, on the style of the of what he's going of what he was going for. I've like yeah. I've seen where they're flush. I've seen where they're back a quarter. I've seen mm-hmm. where they're back an eighth. I mean, a quarter is. I've seen them. It just depends on the design. I mean, it, yeah. you can make it work do, with the quarter. Do you know why those aprons are offset from legs? Because it's hard to get them flush. Exactly, Sean. It's hard to get them flush. There's no point to it. Mm. So it's a lot easier just to set them back. Plus, it adds a shadow line. Yeah. It adds a detail. But the main reason is it's not flush. So you just offset it. And usually that offset is a 16th to an eighth. I would. I have never gone a quarter of an inch or three-eighths of an inch setback. That's way is, too much. Uh, it depends on the design. I'm seeing some that three are way on the setback. Inch. It just depends on the design. If, you, if, you're, if your leg is only two inches thick, and you do a three-eighths inch setback, your tenons are going to be hitting each other. Wait, 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 wait. Where'd three-eighths come from? I thought we said a quarter. Oh, uh, no. I said a quarter or three-eighths. Yeah, three-eighths is too much. Mm-hmm. But a quarter, yeah, I've, that's I've seen way a quarter. too much. I've seen a quarter before. I think a quarter is pretty big, too. That's oh, just me, though. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's not it's not common, but I've, I'm just saying I've seen it before. I've yeah. seen some, I've seen all kinds of stuff, guy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm not visualizing... Uh, dimensionally as well as maybe you know you guys are but the point is is that it's set back right so yeah in that case if in either case if if it's if it's an eighth of an inch even more so the case that i'm trying to make if it is inset by an eighth of an inch then that that mortise wall is thin so i wouldn't get any thicker than a quarter inch thick tenon that that was the point that I was trying to make. I yeah. was just sort of reiterating the whole case about the mortise wall being very thin. I'm I'm fine with him using the third, you know, the the one third rule for something like this. I would do the exact same thing. That would give me a, I would I would probably use an eighth inch setback. That would give me a three eighth inch mortise wall mm-hmm. to the front of the leg. 
and that's more than enough with a quarter inch tenon. Yeah. I think, I think that's perfect. Yeah. There are certain designs that I've seen that are like mission style where they, they're pretty, they're pretty set back, but it just depends well, I've on done, the I've done a couple jobs where the customer has wanted the, the aprons right in the middle of the leg. Mm. And it's, it's a little weird. It, well, it's really weird. And the way I did it was I used, <laughs> I used uh, dominoes like I would everything. But if I didn't have dominoes, what I, what I did, because the, the, the dominoes would hit inside the leg. Right. If I used them. So what would I did was I, I offset them. Oh, I had gotcha. one high, one below, one below that, one below that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they bypassed each other. But I've also just made them really short. I've, I've made the tenons with the dominoes much shorter than I would have liked. So they wouldn't hit inside. Because I get I get asked to do all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff. No, I, I do. And I just I just look at it and I go, okay. And I'll, I'll ask, I'll kick back with them. And I'll say, you know, is this something that has to be done this way? Or can mm-hmm. I do what I need to do? And they go, nope. That's what it says on the order. That's what the spec is. I'm like, all right. All right. I'll make it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah, the way you're doing it, Julio, is perfect. Yeah. One third, one third, one third. Yep. Mm-hmm. Equals three thirds. And now we're going to talk about what we got going on in the shop. And <laughs> okay. I will pick, there's three of us, one third, one third, one third. I'm going to pick Guy. Talk. I got nothing going on in the shop. We. No, I'm just joking. Nothing? How's that? In my, in my own home shop, I have nothing. Oh, well. So I've been at work. I've, I, I'm, I was off a week from work because I had to isolate for COVID. So this is my first week back. So I've had Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I've got three days under my belt. I have mm-hmm. built a bunch of stuff really fast because they were really easy projects. You know, I, I had a bookcase. I had some mitered table, mitered benches that I built today. I had this weird 60-inch round table with a three-legged base that I Mm. built that I've I've built before, and it's just a pain to glue up. Um, (laughs) All those angles. No, it's just like a big spider. There's just Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff coming off this little tiny hexagonal piece in the center. Uh, anyways, but that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing stuff at work. So mm, cool. Well, we working on this refinishing project, uh, stripped it down, used a chemical stripper as well, just to get all the varnish and everything off and then, uh, sanded it down. I'm about to apply, uh, apply the wood conditioner not too long from here and then get it stained. I, I talked to you, Sean, about this because, uh-oh. You're Mr. Stain. Well. Um and then I got <laughs> well, you were very helpful. You kind of cleared things up for me. Um and then uh I've got all the material that I need for a dresser that I'm I'm building for a lady here locally. So that's like taking up all my shop. I got to break all that material down so I actually have room to to have the uh refinishing project in my in my shop. Um Sean, how about you? What do you got, man? Well, I um, finally finished the box, got a video edited, put up on my YouTube channel. Um, no narration on this one. Um, so you can. And it's been a while. It's been a year and a half. So, yeah, I had to reset my password to YouTube. No, I'm just playing. 
Um, no, it was a it was a, a beautiful box that are that came out great in my opinion, um, which is rare for me to say about a project that I finish. I'm always critiquing it, but I really like this one. Um, it was made out of. Do I have it? Um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> You always have. <laughs> Can I have it? <laughs> Maybe, but it was made out of um, all kinds of stuff. It was I used half inch Baltic birch for the for it um, for the case. I used curly, well the the plywood sandwich is made up of bird's eye maple and plywood to make up the the paneling. Which bird's eye maple, beautiful pain in the butt to uh, cut the rabbits on it. I had to fix a few spots. Um, but the inside was made from black, curly black limba. The outside is curly edame. I think however you say that. And then top is a laurel burl. Mm. Um, and then it it came out great. Hinges, hinges were finicky. Got those dialed in. Looks good. Finish was good. So now that's put to, put to bed and it's, uh, I'm, seems to be all I make now is is side table in tables, but I'm, I think that's, I'm going to be making some uh, nightstands. I still need to finish the design on that. And I've got walnut in the shop and I've got a couple of babinga boards and I've got a bunch oh, of cherries. So I've got to figure out what I'm going to use to build those, mm. those two out of, but that's what I've got going on in the shop. I still need to clean up a little bit, but uh, yeah, the nothing too crazy. So I think That'll do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have a woodworking question, doesn't necessarily have to be a woodworking question, that you would like answered, we'll give you our opinion on anything. You can send that through the podcast contact page. At, hit us up at woodshoplifepodcast.com and click the contact link to fill out that form. Or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. If you do DM us, be sure to put your name on there so we know who to say it's from we'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on itunes it really helps in the search rankings and of course we truly appreciate the support and feedback you can reach me at simplecove.com or at simplecove on instagram and youtube hui where can they find you you can find me at alabamawoodworker.com all the links to my social media are there guy where can you be found uh, all my social media is <clears throat> just guys woodshop, whatever platform you're on, just search for that and you'll see me. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. See, see you in a couple guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.